short order and um, uh, guys there's order in the kingdom of God everything in the kingdom of God has order to it now our idea of order is very different from the order that the Bible talks about but um, you know one of the uh, if you go to Colossians 1 16 to 19 Colossians 1 16 to 19 for instance you'll see that if you read the um, message, you'll see it even more clearly spelt out. But Colossians 1, 16 to 19 says, uh, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Colossians 1, 16 to 19. depending on the version you read, I'm just reading from the message. It says, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. And then it goes on to say, so spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. That's what Colossians 1, 16-19 says in the message. Let me read that again. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. So spacious is he, so roomy is he, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. If you look at Psalm 8 verses 5 and 6, Psalm 8 verses 5 and 6, you again see that there's order in the way he creates things. Psalm 8 verses 5 and 6. It says, you made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. He's talking about humans being a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. So again, you see that there's order. Message puts it this way. You put us in charge of your handcrafted world and repeated to us your Genesis charge. I love that. You put us in charge of your handcrafted world and you repeated to us your Genesis charge. And the Genesis charge was, I have given you dominion over everything. Go to 1 Corinthians 11.3. 1 Corinthians 11.3. First Corinthians 11.3. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Again, there is order. 1 Corinthians 12.28 Notice in that order, uh, the head of Christ is God. The head of woman is man and the head of every man is Christ. So even Christ is included in that order of things. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, 28. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Starting at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, there also those having gifts of healing and so on. There's order. 
These are just some scriptures I wanted to point out where you'll see that in everything God does, there is order. And so one way of defining order is order is equal to origin, and I'll explain it, plus purpose, plus proper place, plus function. This is a more accurate definition of what order is. Order, if you had to define it, order will, let's put it this way, these are contained in order. When God speaks of order, these are contained in it. In order, you'll always find that it has to have an origin. In the sense, um, where did it start from? Who put it in place? Okay, Jacob, uh, let's take for instance, let's assume for instance that I ask Heidi to be in charge when I'm away. So, you have to ask the question, where is the origin of this chart? So you'll trace it back to Jacob. Where does Jacob's uh, authority come from? You'll have to keep tracing it back. All order has origin, and all godly order has its origin in God. You cannot have order without being able to trace its origin, which is why tomorrow Heidi can't come here and stand and say, well, I decided that uh, I was feeling really good today, and I thought I'll take over. Can't do that. Because you've got to have origin. Secondly, Heidi would never do that. And if she did, Sue would start laughing like that too. So, um, you begin with origin and then you go on to this thing called purpose. There is purpose in God ordering things. There is purpose in God ordering things. God didn't decide to just throw things around and see where they fall. He, he has purpose. You know, these drums are set this way. There's purpose in this order. These, these are not randomly put together like this. There's a reason why certain drums will be certain places and certain things will be at certain places. It has purpose. So there is no order without purpose. There's always purpose contained in order. Thirdly, everything has its proper place in order. Everything has its proper place in order. Everything has its proper place. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. Otherwise, this would be a disco, not a church. If the lamps were on the floor. So, everything has its proper place. And fourthly, when it comes to order, there's a function that is discharged in things being in a proper place and having a purpose and having an origin from God. There is a function that is administered or administrated or discharged. There's always a function. This is how order needs to be seen, guys. So on one hand, while we are all equal before God, and we know that. There's, I mean, can you imagine this? There is nobody in this church who is not absolutely equal. All of us are absolutely equal. No one in this church is even one iota more than the other. Common sonship, common priesthood, equal love, equal mercy, equal grace, equal ransoming, common 
And yet, even though there is common priesthood, when it comes to function, equality is not a factor. When it comes to function that God has for us, equality is not a factor. For instance, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are equal. And yet, when it comes to function, there's a diversity of function. And in that function, you won't see equality. You will see the Spirit of God always uh, um, assenting to who Christ is. And Christ always saying that the Father is my head. So when it comes to order, when it... Remember, in order, function is not equal. And if you're struggling, and if I'm struggling with us, I don't want to do this order thing. It doesn't fit well with me. Then I want to say to you, that at the end of the day, the one who first covers and covers all is the Father. Let me say that again. In any, at the end of the day, guys, if you trace it up to here, who is here? The Father. So whenever I'm submitting, what I need to understand is I'm ultimately submitting not necessarily to the person above me, but I'm submitting to the Father. And like it or not, God has ordained humans to be submitted to. It is impossible to be submitted to God without submitting to humans. Impossible. Not possible. That's a lie. That's our democratic uh, postmodern way of thinking that uh, I submit to God, but not to any other. Well, then you're not submitting at all because I've got to submit to someone here on earth. Divine order always works through man. You know, I, I don't know if you remember Eddie telling us of how he for four or five years had to work with a guy God put him with who was quite abrasive and he didn't enjoy those four or five years, but he chose to stay with that man because he knew that in the process he was submitting to God and that it was God-ordained order, but that things weren't going exactly as he planned, but it was still something he submitted to because he knew how order worked. Guys, God's order does not touch upon the matter of who is greater. God's order does not touch upon the matter of who is greater. God's order does not touch upon the matter of who is greater. If I go to Ryan's uh, school, or when Ryan is teaching a bunch of students, if I go to Ryan's class, then regardless of the fact that I'm older than him, that I uh, pastor the church that he's at, when I go to his class, I now submit to him. So, order is not about who is greater or who is lesser. Order is the arrangement of things. Order is the arrangement. Order is the arrangement. It's simply an arrangement that God uses to administer and to function. It is an, arrange, it is an arrangement, an arrangement that God uses to administer and function. It's an arrangement that God uses to administer and function.
It's an arrangement that God uses, where's my coffee gone? Uh, to administer and function. And what does God administer, guys? What does God administer mainly? If you could use one word, um, what does God administer? Right on. God administers grace. In every situation is administering grace. Where there should be judgment, he administers mercy and grace. Where there is shortfall, he administers grace. Where there is a lack of hearing, he administers grace through his rhema word. Where people need rescue from sin and ransom from hell, he administers grace in the person of Jesus Christ. So at the end of the day, one of the reasons God has uh, put order in place is because it's an arrangement that God uses to administer grace. But everything in the world that has its origin from God has godly order. Please don't doze off or lose me today because it's important to your life. Not yet, Dan. I'll give you, just give me a couple of minutes more. Here's another thing. Who does God use to administer grace? Um, um, uh, that's an easy one. I wouldn't have made it that easy. Who does, among us, we must understand that among us, there are, you know, when it comes to um, believers, believers can administer grace as employees. Believers can administer grace as uh, um, servants or slaves. Believers can administer grace as hired hands. Believers can administer grace as immature children. But, God looks for sons to administer grace. This is important, guys. When it comes to... I mean, you go to the Old Testament and you look at the qualifications of priests in Leviticus 17 or Leviticus 21, and you'll see that the priests had to have... could not have this defect, could not have that defect. At the end of the day, when it comes to new, the New Testament, one of the things we need to understand is just like you would wait for your son to come to an age before you will hand him your business to run. In the same way, God is looking for sons he can use to administer his grace. It's not that he cannot do it through servants. It's not that he cannot do it through employees. It's not that he cannot do it through children. But his preferred mode is to do it through sons. See, we need to understand that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It is between unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given that maturity happens. Let me, let me show that. Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So, in Bethlehem, a child is born. In Calvary, a son is given. In the 30 years between, Jesus comes into full maturity. You know, another word for this which people use nowadays, is discipleship. Discipleship happens between a child being born and a son being given. Maturity happens during those years. 
When God wants to administer, it's not that he cannot administer through a child. But he prefers waiting till the child has become a son. Grasp the enormity of this. That it is okay to function as a child. You can do it for the rest of your life. And I can do it for the rest of my life. And we will all go to heaven. But we will have Monday school in heaven. I'm just kidding. There's no Monday school in heaven. Because there are no weekdays in heaven. It will not be like, uh, guys, Tuesday, this is our schedule in heaven. Thank God for that. And no, can you imagine? It will be so strange not to have dates and weeks. Which means there will be no July 17th. So enjoy it as much as you want while you're here on earth, guys. This is why I keep announcing my birthday. Pardon? Sorry? Oh, I wasn't thinking at all. Never occurred to me. Um, His birthday is on 15th or the 19th? 13th. Guys, so it's in the process. It's in the process between child and son that maturity happens. What I'm trying to say is, guys, grab the idea of the fact that yes, you can go to heaven. Yes, God will use you to do what He wants on earth. But at the end of the day, His mode of operation is through sons. And tell me something: who is it? We'll come to that. No, I've got to talk about it now. Who is it? that knows when the child is ready. Who is it that will know when Tavis is ready? Hold that thought, eh? You have no idea what, how important what I am saying today is. No idea. It's rocked, this, rocked the core of my being, man. It's, it's, uh, 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 there is there's one line I have written in this message saying, when I was a child, I thought like a child. As I look back on the years of Acts 29, I'm thinking to myself, Father, I've had so many childish ways for this church. And we cannot afford them anymore. So, in a sense, this message is letting go of your childish ways and coming into adulthood. Because I made mistakes in my not knowing better in Acts 29. That's always going to be the case. Five years from now, I'm hoping I'll know some more. But I'm hoping the mistakes will be less between now and the next five years. These are not deliberate mistakes. These are just mistakes of not knowing better, which is the process of growing. Can you imagine that? <laughs> this is why ages ago I said, be ready to change what we know today because tomorrow we might know more. Guys, no program can achieve this maturity. It can help, but it won't achieve it. And what did I say was the definition of a disciple? Definition of a disciple? Those of you who are here for that teaching on the apostolic heard it. A disciple is someone who demonstrates divine life and divine ownership. A disciple is someone a disciple is someone who demonstrates divine life as in the life of Christ in him and divine ownership 
as in I belong to somebody who is going to take care of me and I'm not going to work my backside off to protect, provide and take care of myself. There are two things that a disciple needs to demonstrate. Divine life and divine ownership. Take some more, Tavis. You can have it. You know, you should read the book of Galatians. Galatians 4 verses 1 and 2 says this. That a son is like a servant. Hear me, listen to this guys carefully. A son is like a servant till he has come to an age of maturity. Galatians 4 verses 1 and 2. What I'm saying is this, that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by whom? What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, though he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. At the end of the day, God wants to administrate through you, but you have to come into that order thing we talked about. One of the things though, important in order, there has to be origin, there has to be purpose, there has to be proper place, and there has to be function. <coughs> then he'll say, okay, now Jacob, go ahead and administrate me in you, as in God in you. Administrate me in you. You had a question? Or if others have questions, feel free to ask. I'm talking about order in the kingdom. The kingdom has rule over the spirit realm too. So I wouldn't confine it to the earth. No, no. Any other questions? Of? Of that order. Yeah, it'll come. You're going to be talking about it, yeah. And if it and if it's not clear as we go along, just ask again, and I'll explain it. Guys, um, here's the thing: for you to function in the kingdom, for you to function in the kingdom, for us as Acts 29 to function in the kingdom, what is the kingdom? Quick definition, please. Oh, that should have come much faster. What is the kingdom? Define kingdom. No, define the kingdom in less than nine words. Good. Yeah. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of the king, Christ, here on earth. Okay? Okay, for, for us as a church to function in the kingdom, or for you to function in the kingdom, for Wayne to function in the kingdom, for Rosalind to function in the kingdom, for James to function in the kingdom, one of the things that's required is uh, that you know your domain, you know your domain, you know your job description, you know your authority, 
you know your rank or your spiritual rank or rank we'll talk about that you know your boundaries ah oh, this is such an important one you know your boundaries and that you know the nature of god's rule meaning nature of god's way of ruling some of these are very similar ask me what's unclear the first one is domain the second one is job description the third one is authority the fourth one is rank the fifth one is what is it boundaries and the sixth one is the nature of well, the nature of god's way of ruling okay these are important to know if you want to function in the kingdom of god see guys one one needs acts 29 uh, i mean i've been talking to some of you guys saying uh, we are not going further with things um till we retool that which acts 29 should be involved in why because there's a domain that acts 29 needs to operate within it is appointed to us by the one who has everything ordered i got to know the domain that this church functions and we've got to know it i've got to know the domain that i am allowed to function in you've got to know it secondly job description job description may be summed up by a word that's a little nicer and less secular what's your grace what are your spiritual abilities and grace i'm not talking necessarily about natural talents I'm talking about your spiritual ability and grace thirdly authority it's not that we all don't have authority but to the extent that we have practiced it and exerted it only to that extent do we know it i mean have you tried stepping onto uh, um, highway 1 in the middle of traffic and stopping a truck by lifting up your hand uh, don't try it I'm, i'm just saying you won't know your authority till you try it you know you know one of the things that we need to understand is you have to go to your level of incompetence and then stop keep rising and that's keep rising to your level of incompetence <laughs> when you reach a level where you're incompetent you know that okay i can park here for a while before i get further I know my level of incompetence when it comes to guitaring. And I won't go further. So does that mean you stay where you're You stay at that very brink of where your incompetence is now exposed and you work there till you are honed to do better or in some cases that's where you're supposed to stop. it's that fine line in between what would the cases you ask ask it again what would the, the cases be where you have to stay and not proceed forward okay so let's say um um guitaring is too easy a one um let's say I, i have an ability to manage things to a point and so i do the best i can t- till i come to a place where i realize that if i manage this any more 
I cannot handle it. It is beyond my present ability. So that is where I then stay and function till one of two things happens. Either God will help me improve so that I can take another step forward or that is the place that I'm supposed to function in that area of management. That's wrong, isn't it? No. Because you've got to strive to move forward. In not if that is not the grace that I have. What if all of us... This grace unlimited not really. What if um, he was let's say a prophet and I am an evangelist and I feel like I have to become a prophet. If my grace is that of an evangelist, I can't keep pressing towards becoming a prophet. Something that you have not uh, proceeded to do, that's your change. You're talking about a change. Yeah, so that's what I mean. When it comes to... It's not a change. You're doing something and you're saying that it's further you can do something, but you don't want to... In your grace, you have to come to a place where you're good at and stop till God prepares you more before you can step forward. Yes. In your grace. Only in your grace. But what happens in the Christian world is people all want to be a certain thing. So they keep going into places, crossing boundaries that they should not cross. So, in the area that you have already recognized the grace you're operating in, in that keep moving forward. But even then, when you come to a place and you find you cannot go further, you've got to stop there and wait till you're fully trained before you can step further. No, I'm not. I'm not talking about the secular world. No, uh, managing. Oh, I meant managing as in church, as a pastor. Let's assume I'm managing stuff. Uh, That's why you will find that I do hardly any stuff when it comes to managing stuff here. I know how ease, how low my level of incompetence is when it comes to managing stuff. I've tried. It's not that I haven't tried. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. In your grace. Begin to advance. But even then, know that there will be a time when your incompetence is revealed. And at that point, you've got to stop, man. And you've got to say, I want to increase in this. So help me. By the way, it is impossible for your... Even if you have grace in you, it is impossible for you to go further without help. If you are expecting the grace in you to go further, surely by the help of God and not through the agency of man that God uses, I've got news for you, does not happen. Upgrade comes through association. That's another mistake we make. Let's assume again that he operates in the prophetic. If he does not now, let's assume and he comes to a place. By the way, why does it say in the Bible according to the proportion of your faith? Why? Why does it say, exert this gift according to the proportion of your faith? You know why? Because all of us can go to a certain point to the degree that our faith will permit us. And then we are supposed to increase in our faith before we can go further. Hey, I remember when I started prophesying in 2003, I could hardly get four sentences out of me, man. And it used to be shaky and I used to think, is this true or is this not? And then I saw that as faith increased and as the word increased, by the way, if you want to be covered with the glory of God, you've got to be covered with the word of God. It is not possible to function in administrating the glory of God in you if you don't function in clothing yourself and feeding yourself with the word. The word opens he who is within you because he himself is the word. Now 
and coming back to this, so 2003, then in 2003, I went on a trip with this guy uh, who is a well-known established prophet. And as the first time, I found myself functioning a little better because at one point he left me in a meeting and he said, I've got to go for another meeting. And I'm standing in front of about 60, 70 people in Sri Lanka. And they're all lining up for prayer. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, man, what do you do now? The guy who was supposed to help me uh, uh, fell in love with a girl in the Sunday school department and he went off with her. I took him with me on a trip, by the way. This was a mission trip. And I'm looking for him. And he's in the Sunday school helping the kids. And I'm asking why. He said, I really like her. (laughs) So there I was. And then I saw it functioning a little better. And according to the proportion of your faith. And it'll keep increasing, man. Get it? You understand what I'm trying to say? Authority. Again, guys, authority is something that we'll have to exert to know whether, uh, exert to increase in. Today, you and I may have an understanding of our authority based on what we've dealt with for the last five years. Tomorrow, you've got to step a little beyond it based on the word inside you and the knowledge of who God is. Otherwise, we'll always be at a place. So that's why I've put authority that these things need to be known by us if we are to move, guys. Hey, where's James gone? James is not here? Okay. Rank. Guys, um, there is, when it comes to function, there is rank. Know your rank and operate in it. There is rank both in terms of the body, (laughs) there is rank in terms of the spiritual world too. By rank, I don't mean title or position, as in civil authority, but just as it says in First Corinthians, Corinthians twelve twenty eight, in the church is appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. This is based on function. It's the arrangement of God. It is there's absolute equality. Yet when it comes to function, like it or not, there is rank, and it is out of the wisdom of God. And therefore, in certain areas, you will find that you will do much better than in other areas. An evangelist can go into a place where there's evangelism and his rank functions very well in that situation. But you send an evangelist into a nation to open up a nation and you will find that he doesn't work well in that situation. You will find this in Acts chapter 8. Philip goes to Samaria to evangelize. They have to send Peter and John from Jerusalem to finish the job. Because the apostolic has the ability to open up things. It's a breakthrough pioneering ministry. So it's natural. If you know in that sense your rank, you understand what you can function at well. It's not a hierarchy. It's, hierarchy would mean civil position, authority. This is rank based on function. It's based purely on, hey, there you are. I thought you disappeared. This is based purely on function. Boundaries. Guys, in Ecclesiastes 10, 8 or 18, it says this. It says, break the hedge and the serpent will bite you. Break the hedge and the serpent will bite you. What it's trying to say is, guys, there are boundaries allotted to us. 
Stay within it. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 says this, I know the boundaries that have been given to me and I will not build on anyone else's work. I'll stay within the boundaries that I'm allotted. 2 Corinthians 10. This is another reason why we need to find out, so what is Acts 29's domain? What are the boundaries? Because if I cross those boundaries, I have gone beyond the horizon that God has set for Acts 29. Hey, did you know that when Israel was traveling through the wilderness, these are a chosen people. They have the dread of Jacob, Yahweh, dwelling amongst them. People are scared of them. Yet here's what God says to them. You will not go and touch the land of Edom. You will not touch the land of Esau. You will not touch the land of Lot. You are not even to sometimes go through them. You will have to go around them. You may be a chosen people. I'm taking you to the promised land. I live in you. You will conquer everywhere you go. Joshua, I give you whatever land your foot sets step on, but know this, that you will not go into Edom, you will not go into Esau's land, you will not go into Job's land. There are boundaries, guys. And I would suggest to you in the past that Acts 29 has crossed boundaries. But they're not going to in the future. i got to know the boundaries that are allotted to me. You've got to know the boundaries that are allotted to you. In every area, guys. Know, know your present boundaries as a man. Know your present boundaries as a woman. Know your present boundaries as a husband. Know your present boundaries as a wife, as a child, as a son or a daughter, as an employee at work, as a leader, as a pastor, as an apostle, as a prophet, as a citizen in the land, as a worshipper. I don't know whether I told you this. There was a guy in this church I was at in Bahrain. And uh, he was sitting in the congregation. And he was a very good bass player. And um, during worship, he does the strangest thing. The guy who's playing the bass was not very skilled at it. He was pretty good, but was struggling with a particular song. This guy gets up from the middle of the church, and it's a large church. He comes walking up the center aisle, goes up to the bass guitarist and says, give me the bass. He takes the bass, and he starts playing it accurately. It's been 17 years since he's played on a worship team. Never played on a worship team again. Goes to a church now that has multiple worship teams. Cannot crack the worship team. That's why I said, even as a worshipper, know my boundaries. Much sifting, much distress, much confusion, much affliction is a result of breaking the hedge, guys. Much distress, much sifting, as in sift. Much confusion, much affliction is sometimes a result of breaking the hedge. So learn your location in the things of God at present. Find out what is allotted to you. At times as I speak, uh, teach today, it might feel like um, uh, fear may come in but I'm not trying to instill fear I'm trying to instill prudence in what is yours like the point um, Marcus was bringing up in what is yours 
there is sometimes no limit to how far you can go. In Joshua 14, for instance, Caleb knew that the land was his. So he goes up to Joshua and says, I'm 80 or 85, but I want to say this to you. Those hills belong to me. I want them. Yes, I understand that there are people there that have iron chariots and are pretty nasty. But I'm as young as I used to be when I walked with you in the wilderness. I want those hills. Give it to me. Othniel, his son-in-law, knew what was his and was willing to take whatever was his. He started claiming stuff that would not have come to him had he not pressed in. So in what is yours, the sky is almost the limit. But in what is not yours, do not cross boundaries, man. It is a recipe for confusion, for affliction, for distress. We'll talk about that some more. Questions before we go on? How does Tavis, um, uh, how does it work for Tavis? No, he doesn't. His parents help him to know what he should do and what he doesn't. How does Tavis, who decides, who decided for Tavis that he could bike all the way from um, Timbuktu to uh, the church? Who decides for Kyla when she can use a glass um, bowl? Who decides for Evelyn when she can go and begin to open the door when someone comes in, knocks on the door? There are different factors involved in deciding it. I understand that there's a tendency among young adults to begin to try things and do them. But in the process, what we don't realize is the, the, the distress that is caused because order is absent. What happened to Phinehas when despite being told, he insisted on being a runner? What happened to the man who is supposed to walk before God like his father Zadok and he decides to cross boundaries and operate as a runner? Yeah. Then grace covers you. <laughs> But I'm saying grace, cover, grace, covers, grace covers you when you don't know. But when you come into a place of knowledge, it's not that grace stops covering you, but there is a responsibility now. So an ideal situation would be churches where this is taught, but we didn't know it. And I'm saying to you that as I begin, as I begin to look back, I can see uh, situations that I'm teaching today that have happened. But I'm saying to you, grace covered us. But now, if we don't operate according to this, then it'll be, <laughs> it'll be, uh, 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 yeah, it'll be a refusal uh, of the counsel of God. Yeah. So grace covers us in ignorance, but ignorance is not bliss because Satan has absolutely no respect for ignorance. He doesn't say, oh, poor ignorant one, leave him alone. Never says that. My people perish for the lack of? 
guys, so locate yourself in order. Huh? So the, the, the next question would be, okay, Jacob, you're saying that we need to know these things. So how do we know these things? How do you know region that you're supposed to operate in, the domain that you have, the grace and the mantle that you have? How do you operate in it? And Acts 29 needs to know this. Uh, by the way, when I say the word domain, I mean, what is your place of operation? What is your place of operation? What is the, um, this might sound a little heavy, but really it's not. What is the spiritual protocol that you need to observe as you go around doing things as, a, as Acts 29? What is your domain? How far does your spiritual authority stretch in terms of what God has appointed to you? Where are the places you're not to step into because it belongs to somebody else? Where are the places that you're not to touch because God has a separate covenant or plan or partnership with them? What do you not enter into? Uh, Miriam, um, do you want to ask your question? No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll, it's coming. So I, I just forgot your question, so I wanted you, uh, wanted you to ask again. Guys, many women and men get damaged when they break boundaries because um, the light of God stretches to the very horizons of the area allotted to you. Once you cross that horizon, now you literally step into an area where damage can happen just because there is a legal right now for the enemy to operate. Here, here are some critical steps to stay within bounds. Huh? First, discover and discern, discover and discern the prophetic word over you. Discover and discern the prophetic word over you. And over this house. In case of Acts 29, over this house. Discover and discern it. Guys, um, you know, in, uh, in 2009, some of you who came for the apostolic may have heard some of these stories I'm going to tell. In 2009, this lady from Ontario... Um, um, when she was speaking over my life, said there are two more parts of... Uh, the, the, it's a three-part vision that God has working in your life, Jacob, and there are two more parts of this vision that have to come to pass. And since 2009, it's been three years, I've been trying to figure out what these two parts of the vision are. And I came up with all kinds of ideas. None of them were God. So I didn't know what it was. So I was beginning to almost think, Father, don't know what this is. And then um, a month ago, when Eddie was here on April 15th, he begins to speak over my life right at the end. And he says, um, you've already been through the first anointing, and this is like David's second anointing. And suddenly the lights went on, and I knew what the three-part vision was. So, now that I knew what was happening, I have to discover and discern the prophetic word over me. So, over the last month, I've been going and finding out, what does this look like? What do I have to now like you sharpen a pencil, what do I have to hone myself in? How does it work? See, there are three types of people in Acts 29. Four. Four types of people in Acts 29. And feel free to wear your hat, whichever one suits you. One, 
there are people who receive a prophetic word but don't embrace it. There are people like that in Acts 29. You receive a prophetic word but you don't embrace it. Second, there are a group of people at Acts 29 who receive a prophetic word and embrace it. They, they really believe that this is something that is a God thing. They embrace it. Uh, there's a third group of people who embrace the prophetic word and now begin to prepare with it. And then there's a fourth group of people who both embrace it, prepare it, and now want to be trained to function in it. You know which cap would suit you best? Wear that fourth category, man. But locate yourself. In these four areas that I've given you, locate yourself. The first one is, you don't embrace it. It's a prophetic word. It's nice. There's a possibility. It's like a 50-50 chance. If it happens, praise the Lord. If it doesn't, I'm okay. I'm a humble one. I will function as the Lord wants me to, which is a whole lot of humbug. Second, embrace it and receive it, but don't prepare for it. Third, embrace it, receive it, and prepare with it. Fourth, embrace it, receive it. Sorry. Embrace, not embrace it. Embrace it and receive it. Embrace, receive, and prepare. And the fourth category, embrace, receive, prepare, and say, I'm preparing, I need to be trained in this so I can fully begin to function in it. Embrace, <laughs> prepare. I'm still on the second. Okay. The first one is, don't embrace it. Second one is, embrace and receive it. As in, yes, I believe it, oh God. Third, embrace, receive, and prepare. Fourth, Embrace, receive, prepare and say, bring me to that place where I can begin to function in it. It's very deliberate, the preparing and the training in it. These are the four categories in Acts 29. I wish all of us were in the fourth category, but it's not like that sometimes. But that's the category we need to function in. So this is what I've been doing with the stuff that's been given to me i got to embrace it, receive it. That was easy. Now preparing it is a hard part. And then after preparing, I'll have to train in it by going to people and asking them to help me with it. I'll have to ask someone in, Act- uh, in Vancouver um, who is operating in this and I have to uh, ask Eddie. Otherwise, I'm not going to come into it because I can only upgrade by association, guys. God uses man to help me come to where I am. If you think the Holy Spirit is going to do it, then I'd suggest stop coming to church because the Holy Spirit can do service with you at home. Really. When you need healing, just ask Him. When you need to be taught, ask Him to instruct you. Everything can be done at home. Why need a body? Guys, camp by your measure. You know, when Israel used to roam the desert, they had places they would camp, man. Each tribe would have a camp. They would have a banner and a flag and they would camp by their standard. There was a way they moved. They wouldn't even break order when they moved. Judah would go first, then the next tribe, then the next tribe. There was order, man, in everything God did. Got to camp by the standard that has been given to you. Come by the grace you have. Begin to operate in it. Begin to function in it. 
Because once you do that, no, you will never cross boundaries and you'll always operate in your domain. Because the prophetic tells you who you are and where you will be located for the next little while. The prophetic tells you who you are and where you will be located for the next little while. I take it seriously, man. When I hear a prophetic word over you, I'll come and meet with you because a season is waiting to be opened upon you. i got to meet with you. It's a word on you, but I'm serious about it because you have to come into it. And as the set man and the father of this house, if I don't do that, then you shouldn't be here. But then it is also possible to come to you and to meet resistance. And then it's pointless because you cannot force a horse to drink. Eddie says it is possible. Add salt in the oats. So, guys, okay, second, secondly, secondly, your inheritance is connected to somebody that God has brought into your life. Your inheritance is always connected to somebody God has brought into your life. Your inheritance is always connected to somebody God has brought in, brought into your life. In Acts 29, if it's not me, then go find that other person and latch on to that other person. This is not about, oh, Jacob's demanding that we connect to him. No, no, I can't even handle the few that are at Acts 29. So if you think your inheritance is connected with somebody else, then I'm not saying stop coming to Acts 29. I'm saying come to Acts 29, but connect to somebody so that you can come into your own. Guys, for things to be birthed in your heart, for things to be birthed in your heart, you have to be counted in a census and you've got to go back to your father's house. Remember what happened with Joseph. What happened with Joseph? He's in a place called Nazareth and he suddenly, there is a census and in the census it says all the men or the men and women have to go back to their father's house and it is in the process that Christ is birthed. I'm drawing a parallel from that and saying, for things to be birthed in your heart, you have to be counted in the senses as saying, here I am. And you've got to go back to your father's house. Find your house and you will know the frequency you must operate in. Let me say that again. Find your house and you will know the frequency you must operate in. Find your father and you will know how to steward the inheritance that is yours. Find your house and you will know the frequency you're supposed to operate in. Find your father and you will know how to steward the inheritance that is yours. You will steward it well. Because you need a Jason or a Mariana for Tavis to know when to go out and shop on his own, when to go to school alone, when to bike alone, when to open the door, when not to talk to strangers, when to talk to strangers. It is impossible, I say to you, for anybody to come to a place where you handle your inheritance well or come to the frequency that you're supposed to operate in if you do not belong to a house or if you're not connected to a father. Impossible. You'll do it to an extent, but never to the extent you can. This boy cannot function if they do not tell him when he is ready. 
There'll be times when he'll say, yes, I'm ready. I mean, I remember when I was 16, I don't understand why I was in such a hurry to grow up. Anyone would come and say, uh, but you're only 15. I'll say, no, I'm 16, I can do it. No, you couldn't. Any well-meaning father will always look out for his boy and will never hold his boy back if he has the ability to function. Push back, man. If, if uh, l- Let me say this one thing more and then push back. Guys, understand. Uh, you know... Um, uh, I read this out to Eddie five days ago. There are times in Jacob's head when this thought occurs that, hey, Jacob, you're doing pretty well. I talked about this during the apostolic um, teaching. There are times in Jacob's head when Jacob begins to get vain enough and not vain enough, as in vain enough, uh, uh, gets vain enough, vain enough, vain, vain, vain. Okay. It gets to a point sometimes in Jacob's head where Jacob thinks he's growing rapidly and uh, is functioning very well and doesn't need as much help. There are times when I've seen things at Eddie's church and the way Eddie functions, and I think to myself, Acts 29 is doing better than that in certain areas. When I hang out with Eddie, as I've done in the last little while, I can see areas where um, there are mistakes made. I can see areas. Why? Because the longer you hang out with somebody, the more you will see defects and shortcomings. I can see it. And while all this was happening in my head, I'm thinking to myself, hmm, I've arrived at a place. Perhaps I don't need as much input. And I was reading this out to Eddie. I wrote it down and I read it out to him because this was something God spoke to me a little while ago in the middle of my highfalutin thoughts about myself. And this is what he said and I wrote it down. Understand, Jacob, that God deposits things in you through the agency of a father. Even when you don't think much of him at times. It's a God method for growth here on earth. And you are a fool to set it aside or think of yourself as not needing it because of the mistakes the father has made, because of growth in you, because of doing better in some areas, or because you found some wiser guardians elsewhere. And I was reading this out to Eddie, and Eddie was crying over the phone, saying, I'm glad you uh, understand the principle. Let me read that again, so that it goes down into into the cockles of your heart. Cockles are a little below the left ventricle. Understand that God deposits things in you through the agency of a father. Guys, it's, it's, a, it's like saying God has chosen to send rain through clouds. It's, it's a method. Whether you like it or not, rain is going to come from the clouds. It's, it's his method. Rain is not going to come from birds. It's going to come through clouds. Not the kind of rain you want. It is going to come through clouds and it's been destined so, whether you like it or not. In the same method, understand that God deposits things in you through the agency of a father, even when you don't think much of him at times. It's a God method for growth here on earth. And I'm a fool to set it aside or think of myself as not needing it. By the way, these words were kind of God words and it actually says, I'm a fool to set it aside. It's telling me. Or think of myself as not needing it because of mistakes the father has made, because of growth in me, because of doing better in some areas, because of finding other wise guardians. Just remember that. 
As a father then, I must weigh out with wisdom and without prejudice or Samuel-like preconception the grace in you. It is possible sometimes for me to favor Sue or Heidi or for me to be against him because I don't like his glasses or me to not like Wayne's way of questions or Marcus's way of questions. He asks questions in the middle of the thing. Don't like him. So I come with a Samuel-like preconceived notion that this guy, nah. If that is who I am, then suggest you leave. Because you won't benefit here from a person like that. So then I have a responsibility to make sure that when I approach you, I approach you without prejudice, without Samuel-like preconceived notions. But weigh carefully what is happening. Thirdly, don't let your inability to say no, your empathy, or your tendency to take up causes I'll repeat that. Provoke you to cross boundaries. Guys, some of us will cross boundaries because we just don't know how to say no. Ahab comes along to Jehoshaphat and says, I'm going to fight against an enemy. Jehoshaphat, you want to come and help me? I mean, I'm Judah, you're Israel, let's help each other. Oh sure, I'll do anything for you brother. There are times when we cross boundaries because we don't know how to say no. There are other times we cross boundaries because we have a tendency to take up somebody else's cause. Let's say Wayne has, is outraged at something that Matt has done. Well, then, unless you know it is something you should go and take up, don't join him because you have a tendency to take up other people's causes. Because in the process, you can cross boundaries. Hey, these are real situations. It's happened with people here. Some of us will take up causes when you are not called to touch it and you'll cross boundaries. You will say things that you're not supposed to say. And thirdly, you're supposed to be people of empathy. We are supposed to be people of empathy. But let not your empathy cause you to cross boundaries or to go and break bounds. Tell you a guy who did that in the Bible, Barnabas. His name means encouragement. The guy had tremendous empathy. So what does he do? There's this guy called John Mark. In Acts 15 verses 36 onwards. And here's John Mark's problem. John Mark didn't have the ability to stay with Paul and Barnabas through a mission trip. In the middle of the mission trip, he deserts them. But Barnabas insists, oh let's take him, let's take him, let's take him. By the way, Mark was related to Barnabas. He was a relative of Barnabas. He was a cousin or the nephew. Very clearly in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit has said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for I have work for them to do. And they were sent. Barnabas in his empathy destroys the joint call upon Paul and his life and is never heard of again. May we never go into situations as a church because of empathy. (laughs) That sounds so wrong. That don't let your sympathies make you do things. Yeah, right on. We are not a church that responds to need. We are a church that responds to Him. Yeah. By what He heard. Yeah. 
Fourthly, guys, regardless of flattery, regardless of presumption, regardless of invitations, regardless of how excited you feel, regardless of the pressure you feel from people, regardless of whether the leadership is good or not good, don't break rank, don't break the boundaries that the Spirit has. You know, in Proverbs 30, verse 27, it says this, locusts don't have a king, but they know how to work together as a band. The point is, sometimes flattery can cause you to break uh, your boundaries. Hey, Ryan, you're really good at this one. You should try it. You should try it. Keep saying that a few times. The guy actually thinks he can. Don't let persuasion from people... This is why it's so vital to know what you function in best. Once you know that, why will you cross it? Yeah, presumption, flattery. Presumption, flattery, pressure. People, excitement. Invitation. Just because someone invites us into something doesn't mean squat. Because you can go into an area of functioning that you were not called to by God, but called to by somebody in uh, Tuscany or Tofino. Where's Tuscany? Oh, well. Guys, just remember this. eh? When you read the book of Jude, you'll find that angels who abandoned their first estate or abode have now been put in chains. And Michael the archangel, when he was contending with the devil about the body of Moses, refused to cross certain boundaries set and did not bring an accusation against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. If the angelic realm operates within boundaries and is dealt with when they break their boundaries and cross over, I'd suggest to you that it's a good idea that humans be careful too. Preparation and order. Guys, um, an invitation to a ministry or a God project or opportunity that comes your way is not a divine commission. An invitation is not a divine commission. An invitation is not a divine commission. You know, there have been times, and this is so sad, I hate to admit this, but there are times I have, this is not in the recent uh, two or three years, there was a time when I actually, (laughs) this is so embarrassing, but I have to say it. There was a time when I actually took up an invitation to go somewhere and speak because it would give me a few more extra air miles. (laughs) You're not supposed to laugh, I'm feeling bad already. But there was a time I did it just for air miles, man. How foolish is that? Sometimes a travel bug can cause you to go places. I'm so scared of that one. Where I so badly want to travel that I'm... If anyone calls me anywhere, I'll go. Got to be careful, man. An invitation is not a divine commission. You must know your Macedonian call, guys. You must know your Macedonian call. Acts 16, verses 6 to 9. And so Paul went to Bithynia, and the Spirit of God forbade him. So Paul went to Mycenae, and the Spirit of God forbade him. And so Paul finally went home and slept. 
doesn't put it that way. And while he was sleeping, he sees a dream in which a man dressed in the clothes of one from Macedonia says to him, come to us in Macedonia. Got to know my Macedonian call, so do you. Acts 29 has to know it. Retool, retool, retool. Guys, listen to this line carefully. Anyone who receives a mandate from God needs to know that in a sense, Satan now has a right to test you on what you teach and what you say you are. Anyone who has a mandate, the devil has a right to test what you teach or represent. Anyone who has a mandate, the devil has a legal right to test what you teach or represent. Acts 